0: with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We are going to be in chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 18 through 21. The title of my sermon this morning is Suffering with Eyes on the Savior. <clears throat> so I'm going to read the text, pray, and then we're going to get after it. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Starting in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if... Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would meet us this morning, that you would use me, God, to preach your word with clarity and with authority and with joy and with passion and with accuracy so that you would be glorified and that the sweet beloved saints who are here this morning would be edified and built up that they would be able to set their eyes on Christ. Lord, would you use me this morning to do that? Would you build up your church through the preaching of your word? Would you fill me with your spirit? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Given our nation's history regarding slavery and the twisted ways men would use texts like this one to justify their actions and act as if God himself approved of those actions, We Americans naturally recoil at texts like this, and there is merit to that. It's hard to read this and not think of the injustice done to image bearers in our past. The, quote, slave Bible, or its proper name, select parts of the Holy Bible for use of the Negro slaves in the British West India Islands, is atrocious and incorrect in its claims. But... We cannot allow sinful mistreatment and misuse of this text by flawed men before us, cause us to reject what the Spirit has to say to us today in these words in this Bible that are profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. This is the Word of God. Slavery was not race based in Rome, but it was status driven. Uh, One pastor who lists the ways that one became a slave in ancient Rome includes the following, uh, being prisoners of war, having unpaid debt. Some actually were kidnapped, but even in these circumstances, their status was not permanent. Oftentimes, they were more educated than their masters. They could legitimately purchase their freedom, but the nature of their status was a low one. It was household servant. And he's not talking about, uh, Peter in this text is not talking about the field workers out doing the labor. He's talking about household servants whose conditions were actually often worse than those who worked out in the fields because they had to deal with their masters regularly. And their masters were oftentimes harsh. It's helpful to note the differences for how Paul... Speaks of slavery and how Peter does. When Paul talks of slavery, he was addressing both servants and masters, emphasizing to Christians how they ought to treat one another. However, Peter has a different goal. The Christians that Peter is writing to are living in a hostile enviro- environment. And he's equipping Christians to live within the hostile Roman environment. And in this text, he specifically is addressing the Christian response to unjust suffering. He's not speaking of the masters who treat their slaves well. He's speaking of the cruel, the harsh, and the unjust ones. Peter is equipping the Christians, these elect exiles, on how to endure in the worst circumstances. How do we suffer And keep going. And Peter comes to tell them with a fear of the Lord, a mind set on the character of God, receiving his grace, and having eyes that are immovably on Christ. A God fearing, reverent Christian trusts God's sovereignty in all circumstances, including unjust suffering under harsh slave masters, because he understands the call to follow the footsteps of Christ, our suffering Savior. Church, it would be a terror and biblically inconsistent if we treated suffering like the unexpected fine print of the Christian life. If you live long enough, you will suffer. Not all suffering is created or dished out equally. Unjust suffering does exist, but all suffering is given under the sovereignty of a perfectly just God. And so we have to be prepared to suffer. And we have to be prepared for the response that God calls us to in our suffering. The world we live in is fallen. Sin has stained and affected everything around us. We are sinners. We will deal with sinners. We will be sinned against and we will suffer. And at times, that means we will suffer unjustly. But the reality is this we are impatient in our suffering. And our response can reveal that we believe that we know better than God. Our desires can be for God to operate and think like we do. We can be short-sighted in our suffering. And we set our eyes on our circumstances rather than our Savior. This text matters today because we need endurance in our suffering. The Lord has not returned yet, and things are not the way that they're supposed to be, and we need his help. Sin is in this world. Systems and people are corrupted with sin. Greed and pride drive the way we do things, and as a result of the fall, we suffer. We will experience some degree of suffering until the day that we die, and all of this nonsense stops. And so until that day comes, we are called to endure Whether it's suffering brought on by our own sinful actions or suffering that comes upon us unjustly that God has allowed under his sovereignty for his purposes, we are called to endure and endure patiently. Submitting under the authority of our perfect and reigning Savior. This text is here to help us, to help us clearly see God's expectation and call of the Christian in suffering. This text is here to help us. And so my hope for us this morning is this, is that we would be a people who are mindful of God in our suffering. In all our circumstances, we would be a people who can't take our eyes off of Calvary. That this truth would give our hearts a pulse. God is good and God is sovereign. Always. Always. That we would have an eternal mindset that allows for a patient trust in the circumstances that God calls us to endure. That we would suffer well, look to the Savior, and experience the help that is available to us. The call of the Christian is to endure suffering under God's sovereignty with eyes stayed on the Savior. So we're going to look at two calls in the text that will help us endure suffering in the way that Peter calls us to. Call number one. Be mindful of God in all of our suffering. Be mindful of God in all our suffering. Verses 18 through 19. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Knowing God's character gives us peace when we are in peril. Peter is calling us to be mindful of God, to remember who God is in the midst of our darkest moments and harshest suffering. Whether the suffering is justified or not, we access grace through it by having minds and hearts that are stayed and steady on God himself. Isaiah 26, 3, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Being mindful means we keep our minds stayed on God, which keeps us peaceful in our suffering and strengthens our trust in the one who is sovereign over our suffering. If we don't know God's character, if we are not mindful of him in our suffering, we'll give way to questioning God's goodness. We'll begin to accuse him and question his very character. We won't suffer patiently and we'll try to take things into our own hands, which does not go well. When what's in front of us is so far above and beyond our capacity and vision that we become certain this situation cannot be for our good, and I know there's people in this room who are feeling that right now, we can get gospel amnesia. We'll forget what Christ has done for us, and we won't be able to draw strength from what he has accomplished. H.B. Charles is helpful here. He says this, what do you do when bad things happen to good people? If you endure it, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Divine favor overcomes worldly injustice. We submit to authority out of a reverence to God and a fear of the Lord. Again, H.B. is helpful. He says this, Christians must never view themselves as victims. Life circumstances are a part of God's holy location for you. We either submit to him in this or we lose the ability to be mindful of God when everything is falling apart. And I think we're all familiar with these temptations. Being more mindful of our circumstances. Being more mindful of their sins towards us. Being more mindful of our weaknesses. But to be mindful of God is to remember the other parts of this wonderful book. And what this book says about our God is an amazing thing to behold. When we truly remember who our God is, we are helped. Spurgeon gives us a vision of suffering while being mindful of God and its results when he writes the following. Perhaps at this very moment, down in some cabin or amidst the noise and tumult and the raging of the ocean, When many are alarmed, there are Christians with calm faces, patiently waiting their Father's will, whether it shall be to reach the port of heaven or to be spared to come again to land into the midst of life's trials and struggles once more. They feel that they are well cared for. They know that the storm has a bit in its mouth and that God holds it in. And nothing can hurt them. Nothing can happen to them but what God permits. This mindset only happens when we truly know God in the midst of trial. He's sovereign over all. Every situation is within the scope of his good purposes. We will never suffer a moment of sorrow outside of the sovereignty of God. And so we have to consistently refresh ourselves on the character of God, reading our Bible where God has revealed himself, praying to the God, asking him for help, coming to church and hearing songs about who God is and hearing the preached word, books on the attributes of God that help us understand who our God is. Your feelings will want to fight against this. But we must press into his character and remind ourselves how we can reverently fear this good God, particularly when life is falling apart. Now I'm going to quote some scripture here. And I want us to be thinking... Of the suffering that's in your mind right now, or the suffering you're experiencing right now, to remember this is who our God is and how He orients himself to us. Exodus 34:6 through 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed: the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty. Isaiah 30:18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Isaiah 40. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Isaiah 41. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 57, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. This is who our God is. This is how he orients towards us in the midst of our suffering and this God gives specific grace towards us in unjust suffering. Many translations have that this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, translated as this elicits favor from God. Well, how does it elicit favor? Well, once you submit yourself under the sovereignty of our God and endure suffering, here's what happens. You are humbling yourself. And if we continue reading on in the book of Peter... God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. As we submit ourselves under his sovereignty, we get grace that he is just waiting to pour out on us. But if we don't know this, we will miss out on that grace and we'll miss out on his smile regarding us answering the call to endure suffering. We will be jarred and frazzled and discontent and disoriented when suffering consumes our lives. If we don't suffer with reverence to God, mindful of his character, with categories for his good purposes and sovereign reign, we will come through on the other side of our trials hardened rather than holy. Peter doesn't pull any punches on saying it's unjust. It is unjust suffering that we are called to endure. But the call here is to remember God. And this is important. This does not minimize, lessen, Or negate your suffering. The suffering is still very real and very unjust. But in it, we are able to endure because we're mindful of God. And so, to the person who is here this morning. And you feel like there is this heavy, thick cloud of darkness that is consuming and surrounding you. And the words I'm saying are just bouncing off or even met with a roll of the eyes. Listen to me. The fact that you're here this morning is a sign of God-conscious endurance in your suffering. And that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Your endurance is in his sight. Your suffering is in his sight. He's not blinded to it. He's not indifferent to it. But he has called you to it. And he knows you and he loves you more and better than anyone else in this room. And he delights in reviving your spirit. Your God has not changed, and He is drawing near to you right now as you endure with abounding grace that He is ready and eager to pour out on you. And so we have to pray. We must pray for this endurance, pray for peace, pray for help to be mindful of God. Dustin Ben, just helpful on the topic of prayer when you don't feel like it, he gave uh, seven quick guidelines. Number one, never depend upon my feelings. Two, use a prayer from scripture. Three, recite God's attributes. Four, thank God for his blessings. Five, be guided by a prayer list. Six, focus on the needs of others. And seven, rejoice that Jesus is praying for me. We have to lament. Mark Vrogop has a wonderful book on lament. He breaks it down into four steps. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. Turn means we're choosing to talk to God about our pain in prayer. So we turn to him, and then we complain to him, which is candidly praying about our suffering to God. Turn, complain, we ask, boldly calling upon God to be true to his promises. And then we trust Reaffirming what we believe about God. We must speak to Him. We must go to Him in prayer in our suffering. We must be ready to receive His grace and favor to endure in suffering. And one of the ways we do that is by drawing grace from the local church. We cannot do this in our own strength, so refuse. Please, church, refuse to try and endure suffering on your own. Don't white-knuckle it. Don't just grit and bear it. Do this with the church, with your community group, with your close friends. Don't do this alone, and don't lose heart. Look around this room. We are elect exiles, and in God's kindness, he has joined us together to this specific body. We are here to bear one another's burdens, and as imperfectly as we may do it, there is grace here for you in your suffering right now. Christ was left alone on a cross so that we don't have to be alone. He was forsaken so that we could become family. And this takes us to our second call. This is point number two. Remember Christ and all of his suffering. Remember Christ in all his suffering, verses 20 and 21. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. To receive the name of Christ is to receive the call to endure suffering. There is much hope in this text for us today. We are all acquainted with suffering, and this text shows us what happens and what is available to us when we suffer. What is available to us? Grace. What happens to us? Favor from God. The humble sufferer receives the gift of God's grace because remember he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We receive help to endure. Your suffering happens within the eyesight of God. There is not an iota of suffering that occurs outside the scope of God's vision, of his eyesight, and his sovereignty. He sees it all. He sees you. He is there for you right now. Christ sees all your suffering, and Christ is the one who holds all things together, and Christ is holding you together. The God-conscious sufferer is sustained by the Christ who holds all things together. Our suffering is seen by God. There is grace given to us by God. There is hope for us in God. And so you who have made it this far in your suffering. Know that God still has more grace for you to continue enduring. You may be here and thinking there's already been so much hardship. I've been enduring. And I'm ready to lay down and just be done. Christian, there is more grace in Christ. There is More strength in Christ. You cannot exhaust the riches of his strength or the glorious power that is available to you in this moment. God has called you into this to shine his glory forth and to show his perfect power in the astounding weakness that you feel. It is a gracious thing in the sight of God because to this you have been called. We are called to this, to follow in the footsteps of our elder brother, Jesus Christ, to do good, to suffer, and to endure, following Christ's example, which means we must know and be closely acquainted with the suffering of Christ. We were called, called into a heritage of sufferers. God is calling us and has called us. Right now, all he requires of us is to pick up one of our feet, And take the next step of obedience right along the same path of our merciful, suffering Savior, Jesus Christ. Right now, He's looking at us and He's saying this He's saying, Stay faithful, keep going. You were called into this. This is not an accident, this is not your fault. I am holding this together, and I am holding you together. Keep on enduring. There is yet even more grace for your weary and tired soul. Christ is the suffering servant, and Christ is our Savior. We have to remember and know this in our suffering. When we do know this, life looks like the lives of a lot of people in this room. Those who are suffering in devastating circumstances, but are supernaturally aware of and mindful of God. It looks like conversing with people and you just see and hear Christ oozing out of them. Are they in hardship? Yes. Unjust difficulty? Yes. Are they aware that they're following in the sacred footsteps of Christ? Yes. Do they know they were called into this by the Savior himself? Yes. Are they aware that Christ suffered and suffered for them? Yes. Nowhere in this text does it say that this path we're called to is easy or that when you're mindful of God, it is no longer a challenge. Jesus didn't make it look easy. He says, pick up your cross and follow me cross being an execution device. He says the son of man has no place to lay his head. He says to deny yourselves, deny your mother, your father, your brothers for my name's sake. It is not an easy path. Think of all the times Christ himself retreated to go to places and pray and restore himself. Christian, our path is a difficult one, but he has called us to it. 1 Peter goes on to describe those who are called in this way. And after a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We cannot become too cordial or casual with this statement. Jesus Christ suffered. Jesus Christ suffered. Our God suffered. Who are we talking about here? Let's go to scripture and look at who this God is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's Colossians 1. Hebrews 1 says this. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom Christ suffered for you. This is not hypothetical. This is not hyperbole. This is not a metaphor. This is not a simile. It is our reality. Jesus Christ himself suffered. And he suffered for you. The one who holds all things together suffered for you. The one who was the firstborn of all creation suffered for you. The one who is the exact imprint of God himself. The one who is God, majestic in power and perfect in holiness, perfect in justice, and is love himself suffered for you. Yes, he suffered to glorify the Father, obeying and humbling himself to the point of death on the cross. But our text gets more personal than that. He suffered for you. And H.B. Charles puts it plainly. Christ did not suffer because he did anything wrong. He suffered because you did something wrong. He suffered as our substitute. This is the foundation of Christian theology. It is also the foundation of Christian ethics. You can endure any mistreatment when you remember that Christ suffered for you. And so we are called to imitate Christ, the suffering servant. We are called and therefore empowered to follow the well-worn path of the suffering servant, our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is endurance. Endurance that God strengthens and empowers within us is going to keep us. God has not left you. He will not leave you. Christ has walked the road of suffering and will keep you through your road of suffering. He's not only left us an example, but he's left us strength. Strength found by remembering what he has endured and why he's endured it. Strength in the fact that on the cross he did not say, I hope to finish this soon, but he cried out, it is finished. Right. Our God took, our Savior took the eternal wrath of God, not for some of my sins, but for all of my sins. Not for some of your sins, but for all of your sins. For you, for you, this, oh church, the Son of God suffered for you. We have in example. We have a savior. We have someone who suffered so that in our darkest moments, we can look up and have a friend who went before us, who walked the road of suffering perfectly, who stops us from suffering far worse than we could ever possibly imagine by rescuing us out of darkness and forbidding us to ever go to hell because all of our sins are paid for and we belong permanently into the family of God under the status of those with this banner waving over our heads day after day after day. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are not condemned, ever. It's not coming back to get us 20, 30 years from now. It's not coming to get us 10,000 years into eternity and say, oh, but do you remember this? No, we are forever not condemned because Christ suffered for you. That is our status. And so what do we do? We endure suffering looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We endure suffering by looking to this Jesus, this suffering servant whose joy becomes our joy in suffering because one day all of our suffering will end. And so we look to Jesus, and we are mindful of him. And he gives us grace to follow him. So we follow him. We look to him. We trust his character. We know that he is for us. Band, you can start to come up now. We link arms with brothers and sisters in this room and pray for one another and know that we serve a God who is gracious, a God who is kind, a God who desires to pour out his grace actively in our lives and especially, especially in the midst of unjust suffering. And we will suffer for a little while and endure suffering under God's sovereignty with eyes stayed on the savior. Until our king takes us home to enjoy the bliss and joy of the eternity of grace that awaits us where we can all collapse into the arms of our savior. And hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling